0: Thanks for listening to the Suzy Larson Life podcast, available thanks to support from listeners like you.
1: It's only just a matter of
0: Welcome to Susie Larson Live. So honored to get to spend this time with you. In fact, I look forward to bringing you conversations every single day that hopefully inspire you in your faith walk, that deepen your understanding of God's Word, and that heightens your awareness of His very real presence in your life. Well, years ago, I read a quote, and this is my paraphrase of the quote, but it stopped me in my tracks, and I've literally been thinking about it ever since. And it goes like this, since we follow an unhurried Savior, what should the pace of our lives be? Since we follow an unhurried Savior, what should the pace of our lives be? We need to think about that. Jesus was never in a hurry, yet he was always on mission. There was a purpose in his rest. There was a purpose in his work and even a purpose in his interruptions. So is it possible to live an unhurried life in this culture? I really believe it is. In fact, the author of that quote is the one who joins me today. He asked that thought-provoking question many years ago. Today we're celebrating his book, A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. It's a hardcover book with short daily readings, and he looks at each of the daily readings as a five-minute retreat. And I will tell you, a lot of times when we give resources away almost every day, I almost always give my copy away too because I want to get as many books out to people as possible but selfishly i'm just I'm not sharing my copy today I really got to tell you I feel like this is the next book my hubby and I are supposed to go through but I am thrilled to say we do have five copies to give away if you need a year of slowing down if you need to learn how to exhale inhale and exhale um, I would love to get your name in on the drawing you can just text the word book no exclamation point no quotations just the word book because it'll give you a, a link it'll automatically kick a link back to you text the word book to eight seven seven Nine three three, two four eight four. You know, Alan longs for us to come to treasure the unhurried pace of God. He says, in our hurried culture, we often overvalue work and we undervalue rest. Do you think that's true in your life? I think it's definitely been true in my life, where we've overvalued work and undervalued rest. He says, both are gifts of God to be received at the unhurried pace of love, grace, joy, and peace. We'll get him on in just a moment. A quick announcement. We are partnering with One Child again this year, and we're praying. I can't remember what the number is, but I think it's close to 1,700 children sponsored in the next month or so. Every child matters to God. And I was spend some time on our website, myfaithradio.com. If you click on the One Child link, you get pictures of all these children, of what they love, what they're about, where they're from, and I've noticed this little boy, John Gomez Rivera. He's nine years old from Nicaragua. It says he's brave, he's cheerful, and he hopes to be sponsored someday. If you feel convicted or compelled to sponsor a child, you'll get all the information you need on One Child at our website, myfaithradio.com. All right, let me tell you about my guest. I cannot wait to talk with Alan about this new book. Alan Fadling is president and founder of Unhurried Living, Inc. in Mission Viejo. California, inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. I want that, don't you? Inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. He speaks and consults internationally with organizations such as Saddleback Church, University Christian Fellowship crew, Halftime Institute, Apprentice Institute, Open Doors International, and more. He's an award-winning author of several books. He is a trained spiritual director, and he lives, as I said, in Mission Viejo, California, with his wife, Jem, who is a Jem, and their three sons. Alan, welcome back to the show.
1: Susie, it's so great to be with you. Thanks.
0: Mm-hmm. Looking forward to our conversation. Before we dig into the content of your amazing new book, uh, let's make it personal. What has the Lord been impressing upon your heart these days?
1: You know, there's been a line of the Psalms that I find my heart going back to over and over again, not just in the last few days or weeks, but maybe for the last few months, maybe in a year or two. It's a line from Psalm 62, very simply, my soul finds rest in God alone. Mm. And the reason for me that's been so important is there have been so many things that have tempted me to restlessness, whether that was uh, the restlessness of anxiety or the Restlessness of fear or uh, the restlessness of feeling hopeless about circumstances or or situations. And so my soul finds rest. First of all, what it says to me is the rest I most need is happening in me. It's my soul that needs to find rest. I sometimes imagine that the way I'll find rest is by things out there changing, like the circumstances changing or the public discourse changing or other people's perception of me changing, something out there needs to change, then I can rest. I love that David in that simple prayer line says, my soul finds rest in God. God is the one who gives me rest. And that kind of rest works in the most restless circumstances we can imagine. So that has been the place of meeting and it's it's been um, it's been encouraging my soul a lot.
0: Hmm. Alan, thanks for sharing. And if I remember right, that verse says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. And yes. uh, when you think about, man, if I can trust Him with my eternity, surely I can trust <laughs> Him with every lesser thing. I think sometimes we jump into the deep end, maybe because we're not thinking enough about the value of eternity. Like, you know, it's just, mm. I don't really know what to expect, so I'm just going to trust Him with that. But when it comes to the checkbook, or my child, that seems a little more stressful. But if we could get a good, a a ravishing view of eternity and know that our eternity is secure and beautiful, how much more can we trust him with the temporary, you know?
1: That's so true. I agree. Mm
0: -hmm. So when did this message and how did this message of unhurried living become a life calling for you and your wife, Jem?
1: Well, we wouldn't have used the language quite of unhurried, but I would say 30 years ago, we we did come to a place in our lives and in our work in church ministry of realizing that we were defining our meaning, our worth, our effectiveness by how many things we were doing. Like if there were 30 things on the to-do list, that was a better day than a day with 20 to-do list things, you know. Um, and in terms of the slowing down, what it was was realizing Our lives, as busy as they were for God, did not have very much space to enjoy God. Mm. And so now when I talk about hurry, it's things 30 years ago that I was learning. My life did not have space for prayer. Um, My life didn't have space for unhurried time with people. I, I was running past people to get things done, even in the church. I'm embarrassed to say it. Um, I didn't feel I had time to make disciples. I was running so many programs, I couldn't come alongside particular people to help them actually in their own life, in their you know seven days a week life, to follow Jesus more closely. So I'd say it's been about 30 years that I've been experimenting with the, these new rhythms, these this different pace, and then it's just been in the last maybe 15 years that I began to uh, identify with that language of unhurried to describe what I was learning.
0: Mm, so good. I got to read this. You said, God is unhurried in the best sense of the word. Jesus mm. demonstrates the unhurried nature of his father's kingdom in his daily life. Therefore, the church at its best models this unhurried way of love, prayer, peace, gentleness, humility, and patience. Slowing down is often the better spiritual move rather than autopiling, autopiloting into acceleration in the face mm. of challenges or hardships. So learning the to slow the pace of God's kingdom needs to be something that happens over time and rarely in a crisis moment. I thought that was so interesting, not only for organizations like churches and ministries, but for us as people and as families, mm. how we can autopilot into acceleration, you know, just kind of hunker down and barrel through the hardship versus maybe slowing down and pondering what God wants to show us. Unpack that, if you would, a bit more.
1: Yeah, so... I like to think if, if you were to put this in a metaphor, when I'm in a frantic hurry, I'm in this tunnel and all I can see is the next thing in front of me to get do, done. Whereas when I slow down, it's, it's as though the, uh, the, the lens, uh, my lens for the, the, the setting in front of me widens. I can see more. I see more options. I see more opportunities. I notice things God might be putting in my path that I would have run right on past in my hurried sort of mode. And so I really do think that slowing down is a more fruitful way often than frantically speeding up. But we live in a culture that tends to see fast as invariably good and slow as invariably bad. Um, You know, a a famous basketball coach out here in California way, John Wooden used to say to his players, be quick, but don't hurry. So when I say unhurried, I don't mean sit around and get nothing done. I don't mean, you know, lazily loaf around. (laughs) Um, What I'm saying is be awake, be present realize that God is setting the pace of our lives and our work, and his pace is quite good. And if if his pace can be described by words like love, joy, peace, patience, those fruits of the Spirit, all of those work better at a slower pace.
0: Mm, boy, so good. We had Tom Phillips on last week. He's vice president mm. of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We bring him on once in a while to talk about revival history. And one of the things in his book he said was, rest isn't sitting and doing nothing. Rest is trusting on a deeper level. And I I thought that is so good because that rest really, in that regard, is an act of faith, isn't it?
1: It really is. I love that because uh, too often in in our contemporary, at least our cultural vision of rest, and I think sometimes we've taken it on uh, even in the church, and, and that is to say that rest is just sort of like the word work with a red line through it. It's a mm. negative. It's a it's a not doing something. And what I want to say is, no, no, no. Rest is a something. It's, it's the substantial something at the center of our work. It's the place of renewal. It's the place of refreshment. It's the place where I remember who I am so that when I go out to work, I can express who I am. Uh, it's so tempting to get those reversed where I imagine that going out there and doing what I do establishes my identity, but instead really... Out of a place of rest where confidence deepens, I go out into my work to express an identity I already have.
0: Hmm. We're going to pause. When we come back, I want to um, explore uh, the first reading in your devotional. It's titled, Rest is Holy, and what that even means. Talking to Alan Fadling, his book, it's a year-long devotional, a year of slowing down, daily devotions for unhurried living. I can't even tell you how much I love this book. we got five copies. It's a hardcover book with short—he looks at each reading as kind of a five-minute retreat where you can just pause, exhale, and ponder— The Goodness Provision of God. You can text the word book if you want in on the drawing, 877-933-2484. And I'd love for you to engage, friend. Text me and tell me, what's the best way that you find to rest in God? I mean, how do you get yourself to gear down where you can be grounded in instead of striving, running, racing, where you just settle in and trust God's pace and purpose for you. If you have a way to do that, maybe share it. We can share it with everybody else. You can text 877-933-2484. We'll be back in a minute. Faith Radio Podcasts are produced by the listener-supported ministry of Faith Radio. If you're interested in becoming a team member, a donor to this ministry, you can support the podcast anytime and donate at MyFaithRadio.com.
1: I will rest
0: in you, I will rest in you, not just when this race is over.
1: In these earthly moments, too.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Susie Larson Live. That's an old song, but I thought it was perfect for today. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him talking to Alan Fadling today. He's written a brilliant, beautiful uh, devotional titled A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. And I told you last week when we did our, our um, show on our One Word for 23 that my word for 23 is ease, ease in the effort, um, cease striving, and know that He is God. I'm just in a season after a pretty hard year last year of just uh, finding a deeper rest in God. So I'm super excited about this, but I think everybody needs, we all need to reset our pace because we can get into grinding our, gears a little too much. have got five copies thanks to InterVarsity Press. You can text the word book to get in on the drawing, 877-933- 2484. And when I asked friends to text in and say, how do you get grounded again when you find yourself striving and straining? This dear one says, well, to be still and know that he is God, taking a few minutes each day just to be still to think about who God is and how much he loves me. I love that. Okay, Alan, your first reading um, of the day one is Rest is Holy. I'd love for you to say more about that.
1: Yeah, I of course we probably recognize that language from the Old Testament, you know, talking about Sabbath. But I think the reason that's so important to me is that uh, in our culture it feels like work is what is holy, is special, in focus, central. Whereas the story of scripture even from the beginning really sets rest aside, Sabbath as a uh, aside as holy, which is to say unique, singular, you know, special. And you know the thing is that resting is hard work. I don't. I think we don't realize that. Again, if our vision of rest is just not working, then it's the it's a negation. It's a zero. It's a vacuum. But actually, stopping for many of us who are busy and active and have a lot on our plates, stopping is what's often hardest. But we need to because we need that reminder in the rhythm of our weeks uh, to stop and remember that we are not first workers for God. We are not first servants. We are first sons and daughters because of Mm -hmm. our relationship with God through Christ. Resting is where we remember that. Mm -hmm. And so that's been really important for me. And, And if you think about the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in the stories of the gospels, so much of the problem there was that the Jewish leaders had turned Sabbath or rest into a you can't. And what Jesus wanted them to see is that Sabbath was meant to be, you don't have to, and you get to. Enjoy, rest, be refreshed, worship. So That's what makes rest holy.
0: So, so great. I want to talk about two parts of this rest. Talk about, you know, we've addressed Sabbath on past shows, but I want to just know your thoughts on on how the Sabbath can be a different day. I mean, I remember reading somewhere that Sabbath means a number of things, but one of them is to stop, stop your usual routine, so that there's actually mm-hmm. a distinction between what that day looks like and your other days look like. I read one author had said, Get, you know, make your money in five days, use your sixth day to do the non-paid work around your house, and then use that that Sabbath day to delight and to worship and to rest. And th- I mean, those are just suggestions, but I would just love, what mm-hmm. have you learned about uh, Sabbath and its distinction between that day and the rest of the days of the week?
1: Yeah, I think the way uh, that author you quoted says it very well. What we need, in fact, just this morning, I was looking at a chapter in Leviticus, Leviticus. you know, weren't we all this morning, you know, in the book of Leviticus, but uh, there's there's a line six different times in that chapter. And the line is this, do no regular work. And that's to say, what's your regular work? Well, job work, of course, Uh, maybe work around the house, whatever that might be. There's other tasks that we do to manage our lives and such. But to actually have a day where we will have arranged in the course of six days to have done what needs to be done in all of our arenas of work, to have a day where we can simply rest where we can enjoy the people God's given us, where God, we can enjoy the gifts God has given us. We can. It's a day, uh, I like to say, it's a day to say, what would I enjoy doing today with God? Hmm. What would I enjoy doing today in the presence of God? What would I enjoy doing with those I love, whoever those people happen to be? A day for delight, a day for infilling, not a day for outputting. And I think the the rhythm I've seen as people embrace this that changes the quality of the other six days. Inevitably, those six days become days of abundance instead of days of sort of draining out the last few drops of what I have.
0: I'd love to know even more. You know, as I think about, there's times when I've used the Sabbath after church. You know, snuggling up with a good book. You know, or mm-hmm. taking a nap on the couch or whatever. Um, and I, I am so purposeful, and I'm so feel such conviction to redeem the time, that even in mm-hmm. my rest, I've tried to be redemptive. But for example, and this shows a little bit how my thinking can be a little skewed, but so yesterday, we, we after church, my son is out of town, so one of our daughters-in-law came over and we made lunch together. We had the football game on in the background, but we snuggled on the couch, she and I, and Well, my hubby made some soup, and we just had – we caught up. And then once Mm. she left, we watched a game, and then we played some Rummy Cube, and then there was a third game on. I'm like, there were three football games on. But I love football. I loved every minute. I played – we played games. We had time with our daughter-in-law. But there was something in me that felt guilt, Alan, because it wasn't Mm – it didn't feel as redemptive, but I I enjoyed every minute. And I'm like – what is wrong with me? So and I know that there's ways where you can squander time where you're watching Netflix all day and you get up and go that did nothing for me. So maybe yeah. strike a balance if you would.
1: Well, I think part of part of this is it, it does get back to our culture values work and does not value rest. So the messages that we hear day after day after day are messages affirming productivity. And that's important. God made us to be fruitful people. Uh, but the reality is that we're not fruitful like machines, which can run 24-7. We're fruitful more like trees and other things mm. in creation. And there are rhythms to that productivity. You know, there's a rhythm of a year in the fruitfulness of a vine or or a tree. And one of the elements of that rhythm includes a season of dormancy and of resting. So I think it's important to to um, to recognize that. My resting, actually, if if I need it to think of it this way, it does contribute to productivity or fruitfulness. Mm, okay. It just does it indirectly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of in fitness terms, you know, when you work out, you break down the muscle yeah. and your recovery yep. day is actually part of forward moving progress because it gives the muscle a chance to heal. So that's yes. really good. So that's Sabbath. But how about just a restful pace in the other six days, is there what have you learned to be mindful about so it's not pedal to the metal six days and then rest on the seventh or when, whenever you take your Sabbath?
1: Well, one of the things I've noticed in my own experience, and I've seen this in others too, is when I develop a deep-rooted Sabbath rhythm in my weeks, it changes the tone of who I am when I go back to work. I bring almost It's almost as though I bring a Sabbath soul into my work. Because that Mm. Sabbath is doing something within me. You know, maybe we're back to that line from Psalm 62 my soul finds rest in God alone. And then my soul takes that rest back into my days of work. What I find is that it helps to be restful when I'm working because then I tend to notice what matters most. When I'm not restful, I, I don't have nearly the creativity or the perspective or the vision to be able to choose those things that would actually matter most, even in the context of a a business environment. I just get busy doing a thing and then another thing and another thing, just trying to frantically accomplish, as opposed to the stepping back and having a vision for where I'm trying to head, what it is I'm trying to accomplish, and what would contribute best to that. I do that better in peace than I do in anxiety, Mm, and I do it better in rest than I do in fatigue.
0: So do you take moments away from the computer or do you just, are you mindful to keep your heart at peace? Do you know what I'm saying? Are there practical yeah. things you do? How do you do that?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I used the language of a five-minute retreat with this book is it's, it's something I've learned to do along the way, taking five, stepping away from the computer, from the office. You know, I, I, my wife and I both work from a home office. So this building is where we live. It's where we work. It's where we do everything. So it helps sometimes just to take five and step to the backyard, got all these wonderful bird feeders. And I just follow Jesus' mm, suggestion it. to look at the birds <laughs> mm. and learn from them and realize they're not frantic and they're not anxious and they're not storing away in barns and all the stuff that we frantically do. And it's sometimes very wise to do, but not frantically. <laughs> and to be able to even just take five at times to remember who I am, remember what I'm doing, remember God is with me can just make an immense difference when I return to the work that lies before me in a particular day.
0: Boy, that is fantastic. We're going to pause here. When we come back, we'll talk more about um, our constant urge to earn things from God and God's constant and continual love to teach us to receive from him. Uh, This dear listener says, I have found peace and rest in remembering God's faithfulness to me and how he's kept me. He was faithful then and he's faithful now. And this dear one said, I've learned over time that rest does come from trusting God more than my ability. I don't have time to read the full one because we got to go to break, but I'll catch it on the other side. Talking to Alan Fadling, what about following an unhurried savior, slowing the pace to that rhythm of grace and enjoying the journey a bit more? I can't wait to continue this conversation. We'll be back in a minute. I am
1: here. I am loved. God is good. And that's
0: enough. Hmm. Take a deep breath in. Exhale. Drop your shoulders and remind yourself I'm here. God is good. And that's enough. His grace is sufficient for you. The enemy wants you constantly living in a past full of regrets or projecting fears into the future and trying to imagine a future that God is not in. That's what he always tries to do. But if you're a believer, there is no future moment that God's not in. And his grace is sufficient for you right here, right now. Today, we're talking about a year of slowing down, talking to our friend Alan Fadling, who's written an amazing daily devotional. I love it so much. A year of slowing down daily devotions for unhurried living, a gorgeous hardcover book that looks like water on the front. You can text the word book if you want in on the drawing, 877. 877- 933-2484. And I asked you to text in and tell me what you've learned about slowing down, about grounding in the rhythm of grace so that you don't get stuck in the rat race culture. And this dear listener says, I've learned over time that rest does come from trusting God more than my ability. In the fullness of time, God will do things that my streams do. I don't know. I grow through prioritizing time with the Lord, challenging attitudes that make me want to strive or get upset when others look like they're doing better and getting more done. Um, in the honor of more. I read books that encourage my faith, like missionary biographies and others that encourage me to have my eyes on eternity. I also like to remember where Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He could have done more, but he only did what his Father led him to do. I need to be okay when God says no. Trust me more than your feelings is the most recent thing I'm learning. That's just profound wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, we're going to draw again uh, from your uh, book, Ellen, and I just want to address that idea where we're constantly trying to Um, earn things from God. And he's constantly trying to teach us his kindness. And I love this. You said most recently, I've realized that I need to let myself be blessed. I've been resisting God's blessings because I'm focused on whether I deserve it. That's the wrong question. God isn't assessing whether I deserve his generosity. He's simply generous. This is how he treats us. Blessing is rooted in him, not us. God will love nothing more than for you and me to open ourselves fully to all the ways he desires to be generous. Doesn't that sound inviting? Talk about more about the generosity of God, but also our aversion to receiving from him.
1: Yeah, I just think um, we this gets back to our um, our tendency to highly value a work ethic and not highly value a, a grace ethic to go with it. Mm. We're very clear when it comes to the 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 category of grace, God as gracious. We tend to be fairly clear in our in our communities of faith that we are saved by grace, and in fact, we are. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Uh, Not by works, so absolutely. We know that we enter into this life by faith in the grace of God. But what we aren't always as good at is how does grace meet us on day two and three and so on? How does grace and and how does God in his generosity, his empowering presence, meet us day to day? And so I've come to believe that growing in grace... To use that phrase Paul likes to you know likes to use, and Peter has as well, growing in grace means realizing how many different ways God is wanting to be generous and how many different ways I need the generosity of God. There's still that instinct though within us that we feel we must earn, we have to deserve, we have to we have to be um worthy um, and measured in our own activities. But God's already decided we're at least worthy in the sense of Jesus deciding to come and give his life in love for us. He's, uh, he's decided that Jesus coming full of grace and full of truth wants to bring us into that communion, that gracious, generous communion.
0: So beautiful. You know, for some reason I had on my list of questions I wanted to ask you about fasting and how that plays into the idea of rest. And what's very interesting is my producer typed in on the chat board that she wanted to ask about sabbaticals. And... uh And so I I just want you to see this. We kind of had an interaction during the break. Does he ever cover sabbatical (laughs) rest? I'd be interested to hear what he has to say about sabbatical. And I said, oh, you mean like an extended break from work? And she said, yes, an extended break from something. But then she goes, I guess that's more like a fast, isn't it? She goes, I never thought about the connection (laughs) between rest and fasting. Fasting feels like work to me. And I thought that was so interesting because I feel like there must be an intersection at times. So I guess there's twofold. What do you think about sabbaticals? And two, separate topic altogether, the idea of practicing restraint so that you can experience, make more space for God. So that's a lot, but whatever you want to say.
1: Sure. Well, in some ways, I think maybe the connection is, and this is something Dallas Willard used to say. He categorized spiritual practices, and this is my paraphrase, but into those that are more practices of engagement and then practices of abstaining or disengagement, I, I might say. Well, fasting and sabbatical are both disengagement practices, just like secrecy is, uh, just like, uh, you know, all of it, solitude, silence, stillness. These are, in a sense, not doing disciplines. Now a sabbatical is a more extensive, more intensive sort of disengagement, you know, the classic sabbatical, uh, and I have a lot of friends in ministry who have been taking them because of how wearying this last year or two or three has been for so many. But I think there's a rationale you read in the book of Leviticus that there was the gift God intended to give to the land one year and seven. They weren't to go and try and get productivity out of it. Now, they would live on what you know, it produced of its own, but they weren't to tend it or plant it or prune it or do anything to sort of improve its productivity. It needed an extended chance to rest. Now, God's people had never been very good at that. And so you may remember reading that one of the rationales for that exile to Babylon was that it gave the land all those years it had never been given over the centuries that Israel was in the land. So in terms of sabbatical, I think the idea is and the rationale is giving ourselves a chance to experience dormancy just like trees and vines do, might actually result in a season of greater fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. Very simply, I would say 30 years ago, no, 25 years ago-ish, my wife and I took a one-year sabbatical. It was rather intentional. It was rather focused. It was the year I turned 40, and I would say that everything I've done since then was birthed uh, or at least planted in my life in that year. And I would I would go back and do it again as hard as it was financially in some other ways. It made a difference in what I've been able to contribute in the twenty or so years since then.
0: Wow. You know, I often hear people in the marketplace who hear about people in ministry who take sabbaticals going, Wow, must be nice. But I mm-hmm. wonder if you could have a sabbatical mindset in the marketplace. If you're a believer and you're just as battle weary as the as the minister is, um, I, I wonder if you could have a season of what feels like dormancy, where you're making adjustments. You're looking for places in your life that you can make adjustments, where you're pulling back a little bit, because it is amazing how much time we sort of give away, especially when we're busy, right? And we're, um, yeah. maybe speak to that, because I think you could have a mindset of dormancy where you're kind of kind of tucking yourself under His wing for the purpose of restoration. What do you say?
1: Yeah. So I think what you're what you're saying is good, and that is to say. We could create a season where we refrain from some of the autopiloting, uh, counterfeit rest places we go. You know, I, I go to a restaurant these days and you see nearly every person around with their phone in front of their face, even though they're sitting at a table with other people who have yeah. phones in front of their faces. And why are they doing that? You know, I wonder, I think there's all kinds of reasons, but one of the things it's doing is it's training them in distraction. They don't know how to give their attention in a sustained way for very long because they're accustomed to this little device being the default anytime there's a moment of break. Well, you could decide for some season, even maybe a somewhat extended one, to to sort of limit ways in which you do certain things you're used to doing when you're tired that actually aren't that restful. You mentioned earlier, you know, binge watching series or, like I said, devices. There's all kinds of things we can do overeating, whatever. Uh, That are not restful and that we could opt to actually limit to make space for however God would like to give us rest. So yeah, you could do that without much changing the the normal framework of your life.
0: I want to talk about uh, this one, the gift of the long path. That was the title of one of your devos. In the passage mm. you referenced was Exodus thirteen seventeen. When Pharaoh, it says, when Pharaoh let the pe- uh, let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, talk about the gift of the long path.
1: Yeah. So, of course, in in our hurry we want God to do things just as quickly as they can possibly be done. What we don't understand is sometimes what we're asking for requires time. It may require time for God to prepare what he wants to give to us. More often, it requires time for us to become the kinds of people who will be ready for what God would like to give. The illustration I like to use is in my late 20s, this has been a little while back, God gave my wife and I a vision for sharing our lives with leaders. In our late 20s, we didn't have that much life yet to share, but <laughs> but God gave us that initial calling. Well, in many ways, it's taken until just the last five or 10 years for that invitation from God to begin to bear the robust fruit I think God meant it to. It was a long path, and there were times there where I felt like maybe I heard something wrong or i had been mistaken about that sense of calling it was just wishful thinking instead of a divine invitation but god when he when he invites us to something he also commits himself to readying us for that something and sometimes that's a longer path
0: hmm. i love this i'm going to read this excerpt from your book you said god knows what barriers might be too much for us in kindness He sometimes leads us on what feels like the long way, so we're not overwhelmed by the obstacles that would overcome us. We may complain about the long way because we don't understand that God is sparing us something. God's goal may not be our arrival at a destination, but our formation along the way. We can be goal-focused when God is process-focused. He's forming us, and the long way is sometimes the best path for God to help us grow. And I just think, friend, as you're listening to that, each reading is like that, where this because it's like you're addressing, Ellen, the things that cause us angst, where God's not moving mm. fast enough. Point A should, to point B, that's the efficient way, and yet he's taken me the long way. But when <laughs> we can stop and get a perspective, I think all of a sudden you feel yourself exhale. And I think that's you've done such a good job with that. Here's another one that I'd love you to tackle. You've got a reading titled, Better Back There. And you explore how we often forget two things, how bad it really was back there, and how good it really is where God is bringing us. And of course, you're referencing the Israelites in Egypt, Mm. like they they remembered through rose-colored glasses, um, and yet their cries had reached God's ears, and that's why they've been (laughs) delivered. So maybe Mm. speak to that, our same tendency to think things were better back there.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of what this this speaks to for us, I think, is why change is sometimes hard. You know, God may be leading us in the direction of being transformed in some particular way, but change is often scary. It le- It's leading us into the unknown because the the future is going to be different than it's been so far. And we can become quite comfortable with really unhelpful patterns and dynamics in our lives to the point where we feel like it would be better just to stay there or go back there rather than step into the places God's leading us. One of our mentors used to say, for example, fear is one of the one of the things, and that's certainly true in the story of the Israelites. Fear prevents us from stepping forward, but fear is nearly always a doorway into the next place of God's transforming work in our lives. Nearly every moment when there's been some kind of breakthrough in my vocational life or my personal life or my relational life, it has often involved stepping through fear. But I don't like doing it, and most of us don't. You know, fear is terrifying. It's frightening. It's hard. And so that's that's the invitation, the, the way forward with God, participating and cooperating with The good work God began and is continuing is the path into uh, the life God's inviting us to enjoy.
0: Mm. I love these questions that you pose at the end of that particular reading, and I want you, friend, just to listen to these questions and maybe dare to ask yourself these questions. In what ways are you tempted to look back at some stuck place in your past and experience selective amnesia? Are you looking back over your shoulder and remembering it wrongly? I mean, maybe you've got friends or loved ones who would say, actually— a little harder than you're remembering it to be. Okay, next question. How might God's presence with you now be far better than that situation? And, you know, here's a great example. This dear listener says, I've been unable to find steady work since March of 22. It's been difficult to totally accept in spite of looking for another job. I've so far not been successful. However, on the other hand, I've had a lot more time to actively pursue the Lord. He's granted me a wonderful closeness and is teaching me to totally trust him, knowing that he's aware of all my needs, and he has a plan for my life that I don't know about. But I trust his wisdom and timing. God bless you. And we're going to pause here. When we come back, Alan, I'd love to talk about everywhere I turn, I'm hearing stories of God repositioning his saints, pulling him out of this job and putting him into this endeavor. And you know, it's like he's playing chess. He's moving his people around for this next phase of kingdom life. How do we maintain a heart of rest in a season of transition? Because I think that's when you want to preempt, you want to force fit, you want to make things happen, but surely there's a way to keep a heart at rest as God leads us to the place that we're not yet aware of. Talking to Alan Fadling, his brilliant book is titled A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. Gorgeous hardcover book, and thanks to IVP, we've got five copies to give away. I wish I had a hundred copies because I think we all need a little bit of this in our lives, don't you? You can text the word book to get in on the drawing 877-933-2484. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, I'm Suzy Larson, host of Suzy Larson Live, and I want to encourage you to consider becoming a global missionary if you're not one already. When you sponsor a child with the ministry of one child, you're linked with a boy or girl who will know you by name and treasure the thought that you care about them. Most of them will pray for you daily. If you write them, they'll write you back. The child you sponsor will receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, health care, services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement. But most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month, a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world on your own, but what if you could change the world for one? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. Hope you're having a beautiful day. Thanks for tuning in to Suzy Larson Live, having a really great conversation with our friend Alan Fadling. Who wrote? Uh, he he and his wife have a ministry called Unhurried Living. I think that's the name of it. You'll have to check him out. He's got a number of books about following an unhurried Savior and finding that pace of grace that's healthy and rich and deep. And truly, that's where the fruit is. I think that abiding life. Well, his new book is awesome. It's a Year of Slowing Down. That's the title. Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. We've got five copies to give away today. You can text the word book if you want in on the drawing. Eight seven seven. And I know you consult lots of leaders and organizations. So I'm wondering if you're seeing the same dynamic, Alan, but I'm hearing it everywhere that God is repositioning saints in really surprising ways, pulling some out of the marketplace, putting them in ministry, pulling some out of, you know, an organized title ministry and having them launch a new endeavor. I mean, lots of people taking crazy risks. Have you seen that as well?
1: yeah I think in some ways it's it's a reflective of the amount of change that this this season we're finding ourselves in has has uh, resulted in. Mm-hmm. You know, so many of us have had over the last two or three years dramatic changes just in our circumstance. And in some ways it it would make sense, wouldn't it, that God might sort of reposition us in a way to better serve his purposes in this world that he's planted us in.
0: Indeed. So how do we keep a mindset and a heart at rest especially in times of transition because that can be so disorienting. So how do you keep your wits about you to the point where you're leaning in and really trusting God?
1: Yeah, I would I what I say is, you know, unwelcome surprises are one of my most restless moments. <laughs> I, I I don't, you know, my wife loves surprises in the sense of you know, sort of special things that I might do, but something in my circumstances that shocks me, that that uh, disorients me. And it, what's been helpful to me is just the simple line. So many others have said this too, but the simple line in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, you know, Dallas Willard used to sort of unpack that. I, the, my way of paraphrasing it is to, I've been saying to myself, uh, the Lord is shepherding me, this is probably going to turn out better than I expect.
0: Oh, I love that. And
1: that's been helping me sort of back my way into the truth of that line of Psalm 23. The reality is my, my anxiety and my negative anticipation is, is so often wrong about what's going to happen next. I imagine that transition is just going to result in terrible, awful futures. But often there's adventure ahead. There's opportunity for new things that lie ahead. But I like the, this is a little bit like the better back there, you know, entry, I think. Uh, I I want to be able to trust that I'm being well-led, even if I don't understand where I'm going right now.
0: Mm. Can you think of a time when God was calling you to um, take a risk where there was a shift in your job, your ministry, where he was inviting you to trust him? Um, Is there something, that a transition that comes to mind?
1: Oh, Yeah. When we launched uh, the nonprofit my wife and I did seven years ago, Unhurried Living, we'd been a part of a nonprofit for 20 plus years. They were our community. They were our fathers in the faith and brothers and sisters in the faith. And it was home. It was where I assumed I'd spend the rest of my life. But when I wrote An Unhurried Life, there began to be new opportunities that arose. And I thought they would just be included in where I already was. But it began began to become clear. That this was a pathway into something new, and it was terrifying. I just I had no idea what would happen if we stepped away from what had been our home of faith for so very long. But what I would say is that suddenly we found ourselves needing to trust at levels we'd never had to trust quite uh, the same way mm-hmm. and uh so I think the un the unexpected the unknown. Uh, as terrifying as it is it is because God is there can be a remarkably fruitful path to walk,
0: wow, so good. So for those who maybe deal with fear, what's up around the corner, or maybe you just take took a step and it's a risk, and you're like, man, I hope I hope." God's going to be with me, and I hope I don't mess this up. Alan writes this, God deals with every enemy we encounter on this journey. We are not abandoned or alone. God knows what will oppose or attack me before I do. God will put fear into the heart of those enemies who seek my harm. What good news. Love that. So now next the um, or topic we're going to address here is when you wrote about King Ahaz, about how times of trouble— in times of trouble, he grew more unfaithful to God. And you say trouble is often an amplifier and kind of shows what's already at work in our lives. Say a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when we think of how many troubles have surrounded us over these last few years, uh, political realities, uh, health realities, and economic realities, right? We, the, the troubles just seem to pile. And what I've come to see is that troubles have a way of turning up the heat and amplifying what's already in us. If what was in us is good, I think it it troubles re- become a refining kind of place. It refines our trusting. If our lives are out of alignment, if we're not drawing close to God, troubles have a way of actually amplifying those dynamics in us. And so I think it's important when we face, you know, the biblical word for it is trials of many kinds. You know, James in his letter says, what's happening is our trust is being refined. We're, we're being given opportunity in those times of trouble to turn toward God. But unfortunately, sometimes in times of great trouble, that becomes the reason for some to turn away. They feel trouble is evidence that God wasn't faithful or caring or loving or good. Well, trouble is an opportunity for us to trust that the God who's always been good still is.
0: Amen. And such a chance for us to see what's going on in our hearts. You know, he knows, Mm -hmm. but we don't always see it, right? Yeah. Okay, another one. I love this one. You've got a reading titled Discerning Your Heart's Desire. And you write about a time, (laughs) excuse me, when you were on an eight day silent retreat. And the director suggested you spend that first 24 hours asking yourself what you want. I -hmm. love that. Say more about that and what the impact was for you.
1: Yeah, so sometimes when we hear the language of desire, we're afraid that it's only about wrong desires or disordered desires, but desire is God's idea, Um, and knowing what's happening in the depths of our heart, you know, God can't give us the desire of our heart if we have no idea what it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so in that retreat, this, this wise, older mentor just suggests I take 24 hours and just start writing what I want. And at first they were just real simple, basic things, $5 in the local market would have solved it. Uh, But little by little, I realized some of those desires were deep longings for becoming more like Christ or deep longings for a way in which I might make a difference in the world for God's glory. And so I often tell leaders especially that to take time occasionally to just do sort of a, a heart inventory. What is it you long for? Not just, you know, more in your wallet, more in your closet, more in your garage. Those are very surfacey sort of desires, and they're rarely satisfying. What are the deep desires of your heart, the desires God has given you? And out of that particular eight-day retreat grew some new initiatives and some new directions in my life that in some ways are still bearing fruit today.
0: Mm. It seems that, you know, there's times where a desire's in our heart that originated in the heart of God, and it matches the giftings and the passion and the calling, but we mm. can't imagine that God would want, would delight in fulfilling such a desire that we pass it off, you know, we, sh- we kind of shoo it away. Just got a minute left. What do you say to that person who's almost afraid of some of the actual redemptive desires of their heart?
1: I think it would surprise many of us if we knew all that God would like to do both mm-hmm. in and through us. I think that every single one of us has a calling from God to be reflecting His love, reflecting His joy, reflecting His grace and His glory in the particular families and neighborhoods and workplaces and and elsewise that we've been planted. I, I don't think you can overestimate how much God wants to do through us. I think that it's it's a place of trusting to lean into what we feel perhaps God's called us to be and do.
0: Alan, I pray that you'll come back because I think we, we need a reset on a regular mm. basis. Brilliant job on this book. Thank you for spending time with us today.
1: Always a pleasure, to, uh, as always.
0: Mm, such good conversation. Alan Fadling is my guest. His book, A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. Doesn't that just sound great? I sure pray you found some encouragement here today. God is so much better than we ever imagined Him to be. Walk closely with Him. We'll meet you back here next time. Thanks for listening to Suzy Larson Live. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes and give now.